Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Declan McKenna to talk about how he wrote, recorded and produced the album What Happened to the Beach. Declan McKenna is a British singer, songwriter and producer. Writing songs from just eight years old, Declan was first inspired by an array of artists, from his sister's Busted Records to his parents' David Bowie albums to more contemporary groups such as Arctic Monkeys and The Strokes. He first saw mainstream success in 2015 after entering and winning Glastonbury Festival's Emerging Talent Prize, an achievement that was quickly followed by the release of his platinum-selling single, Brazil, on Columbia Records. His debut album, What Do You Think About The Car?, arrived in 2017, working in collaboration with producer James Ford. Moving away from lo-fi tones and topical themes and embracing a contemporary glam indie rock hybrid, in 2020, he released his second record, Zeros, this time working with producer Jay Joyce. The album reached number two on the UK charts with the singles Be An Astronaut and Beautiful Faces charting in the US. More recently, Declan has been in the studio with producer Luca Bucciolatti, a collaboration culminating in What Happened to the Beach. Continuing to introduce us to new worlds, this latest record explores a more introspective and vulnerable side to his music, showcasing his versatility as an artist. Today, I'm at Sony Music HQ in King's Cross, London, with Declan, and what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Wobble. Wobble by Declan McKenna, the opening track to the brand new album, What Happened to the Beach? And I'm very pleased to say that Declan McKenna is with me. Hello, Declan. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right, thank you. It's good to see you. So here we are at Studio One, Sony HQ in London, here to talk about What Happened to the Beach, the new album. And Wobble is an appropriate choice. It's the opening song, but it's also the song that reveals the title of the album. Why, yeah. why is that? Uh, I, I don't know why it is, <laughs> but it... it it kind of started to make sense as the opening track. I think it was the first song that really was formed in such a way and felt like an indicator of the direction of the like sound of the album. Because I just was always so happy with the guitar sort of part and melodies and stuff, and the sort of combining that with like the slightly more digital feel to it. Like I think the album really sort of thrived off combining something that feels somewhat organic with these like digital electronic elements and it's sort of digital home style recording experience <laughs> yeah yeah that uh, combination of things so it, you know it's it's a bit of a mystery really the title and it just felt right there's a lot of beaches involved in the process of making the album and just 
a lot of mystery as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is it a specific question? Did you go down to the beach one day and say, what happened to the beach? Well, I think we all do. That's the thing. It's, I mean, you know, maybe it's a, a reference to climate change. There's definitely is little nods towards that. And I kind of, I think the last album was a little bit talking about us destroying ourselves, destroying the planet. And there's just some slightly softer nods to that on, on this record, really. But still something I think about a lot. Yeah. And I guess... That the album title being a question and having a bit of a sort of open thing and kind of addressing change, I guess, is maybe what was important about the title just feeling right because it is a change for me and the world also in a state of flux. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So third album, third Declan McKenna album. What, what did you think you wanted to do? When did it start and where did you go? Because you recorded in LA quite a lot, I think. Yeah, so, I mean... It started at home, really. It started when I was living in London and when the second album was coming out and I kind of um, was working on a lot of music, almost like a teenager again, because it was like I had all this really boring, laborious promo work to do all from home, all like like everyone was working from home. And So Zeros was... came out in 2020. Yeah. And so it was exciting to remember doing a, an interview with you via on Zoom. Zoom, yeah. Um, and. That. So everything in those <laughs> times was done that way. It was a very, yeah, it was a very crazy time. And I almost found myself just like putting off doing all of that stuff via making music, which was just exactly the same experience of kind of what started things for me as a teenager, just putting off all other responsibility and, and making music. And um, yeah, I, I guess the spirit of this album really came out of that. And I didn't know I was making an album, it felt very all over the place until I maybe went to LA and met Luca Bucciolatti, who's the producer of the album, really. And we worked together on everything from that point. Um, I kind of went out with the idea that, you know, going to LA, you think, oh, I'm going to work with loads of different people. And I did to an extent, but once I started working with Luca, we just felt like we were working on the album. He listened to everything as well. He like pushed and pushed for like the darkest corners of all the demos I'd ever, like I must've played him 40 ideas or scraps or, you know, some formed, some not. And I played him so much music and he was just like, you're going somewhere with this, you know, like there's, you don't have to actually change it as much as you think you do. And obviously things developed, things changed. Like we wrote some new tunes as well, which wound up on the album. But it was quite inspiring for myself to see, I think through Luca's enthusiasm for what was going on and his vision, like how sort of close I could get with sounds and worlds that, maybe previously had just stayed on my computer because you know i've never released much music apart from some stuff very early on that's been based off of my own demos my own and whereas this album is at least half quite heavily based off of those demos and and then sort of developed further basically at luca's house and uh, other people's houses in la yeah yeah interesting and it's luca's house beach bum palace <laughs> Is that, uh, yes, because that, I was looking at the credits on the album, and and a lot of work seems to have happened at Beach Bum Palace, and it's such a great name. Yeah, that's that's what he he named it. I guess he's still kind of working out of Beach Bum Palace at the minute as well, and it's it's just a great like vibe. I would just kind of roll up in the morning, and we'd go for a drive, and come back, and it's kind of like his living room. I just can't imagine living the way he does because he manages to keep it so organised. Because it's like living room and studio are all connected which is basically, you know, where he 
eats, hangs out, everything, and he manages to keep it in order. And I just can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine being able to do that. But it's such a good like workflow, and he manages to balance it. You know, I imagine if I had that kind of setup in my house. I mean, the times where I've had a, even now, kind of, I have like a bedroom studio setup. It's just a total mess, and like I can't. You can't really do very much of either. Whereas he manages to find like time for, for sort of recreation and creativity and it was really what this whole thing was about was like rejecting the idea that we were going to spend two weeks you know bunkered down in a studio and like and grafting away and sort of painstakingly making this record when probably wasn't the best thing for it creatively the best thing is to actually allow it to breathe and um yeah beach from palace was at the, <laughs> the heart of it all Excellent. Well, we're going to delve deep into the record, and the first song we're going to look at is Mulholland's Dinner and Wine. And if you can play us a blast of the master, sure. uh, we'll have a listen to that, and then we'll get into it. It is Declan McKenna with Mulholland's Dinner and Wine from the album What Happened to the Beach. And that is the first song we're going to look at. It's so funny hearing it because I'm so used to hearing the radio version, right. which has none of this effing business in it. <laughs> um, and when you listen to the album version, it's just all over the place. It's in terms of, you know, it's just effing this and effing that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of audacious from me, to be honest. Uh, but I mean, it really, this is one of the songs that came out of Lucas studio really that we wrote together and did completely in LA and um it has this sort of ballsiness to it that it just made sense for it to be a little bit larger than life in how sort of aggressive and and overconfident maybe the lyrics are because that's kind of the spirit of the song is maybe about striving for sort of a better lifestyle but perhaps missing like a lot of simple things about how to get there I think yeah, no, it just make, puts a smile on my face when I hear the, the proper <laughs> version because, in a way, that's the way it should be heard. Well, yeah. Um, and I'm amazed that you managed to get a radio edit that doesn't have the swearing in it. Um, yeah, me too. But uh, where did it begin then with Mulholland's Dinner and Wine? Well, it kind of, it was just, yeah, another another sort of morning working at Lucas and in his kind of classic style of writing, at least in my experience, is just getting a sort of, beat going that you can kind of just play forever like that's the kind of music that at least that I know Luca for making very well and so we started this beat I think the chords initially he just played on like a Mellotron or his Juno something a little bit like what's actually on the track could actually be what is on the track if I can find the synth this kind of thing Like it would have been this with a with a beat, basically. Pretty similar to that. 
So we had that and we, I was kind of coming up with some random sort of melodies, lyrics, ideas. We jammed some stuff over the top. We jammed in these like flutes, which I think Luca like auto-tuned, which are kind of funny, but they just kind of sit there in the background still on the track. They kind of, they hit some really nice harmonies, but in some places they're absolutely crazy. <laughs> I had like a tin whistle that I was using. Wow. Which was kind of just out of tune. But yeah, that's that wound up on the track. That's definitely from like the first jam of it all. And what we did after we kind of hit a wall on it was just drive around LA. I remember us driving up towards like the Hollywood sign, that sort of little park underneath. And Luca pointing out like the golf carts or golf buggies. And it's just saying like, yeah, it's kind of like there's just people in LA who like go to the shops in a, in a golf buggy. <laughs> and I found it really funny, like a funny little LA trend. I thought it kind of summed up. But I mean, maybe it's convenient, but also it's just like a, a funny, goofy LA trend to me. And like, like a lot of things in LA. <laughs> and I thought it was a good place to start. And I think the sort of, Hook kind of came out of that, really, and came very quickly. And I think what we often did was like go back, write the tune, and then I would kind of go back to my Airbnb in the evening and just finesse the lyrics. And I think the next day, the song was not a million miles away from what what we have here, really. Wow. So, but at the moment, all we have are the the drum beat, the synth, and these sure. these flutes or tin whistles. Yeah, so I mean... <laughs> and, and a vision of golf buggies. So, yeah, I guess so. So we kind of, yeah, we would have been rolling around with this kind of thing going on. Probably with the, the bass coming in here as well, yeah. Oh, and of course there was this. Kind of have a synth and a guitar doing that. Is that Mary? Dun, dun, dun. This kind of this thing here is like classic Luca Bucciolati to me. <laughs> he loves like these little chromatic riffs, so he threw this in, which I love. I think it kind of makes adds to the like coolness of the track. Yeah, and yeah, there's like as I say, there's not a whole lot of other parts other than that we have these acoustic guitars which got added in at some point slightly open kind of but they just gives it kind of a more just more emotion i think and i think the last last element that we added was right at the end of the thing which is these this brass which i think is awesome Which is actually Luca himself playing the trumpet. I think he features a few times on the album, doesn't he, yeah. with his trumpet? Which we, we kind of did most of it, like, towards the back end. And, yeah, there's some beautiful lines on it. And this, this stuff at the end as well is just awesome. So is he 
doubling that up a few times. Or... Yeah, a lot of different stuff. I think we were just we did that first melody, which comes from one of the, I guess, synth lines. That's actually Mellotron. So that that was the original thing, which I think I played on some interesting Mellotron like marimba sound, maybe. And we started with that, and then we just had all these like harmony ideas and things. The difficulty with this song really was what we didn't put in it because we would just, you know, it just felt so good that we kept sort of looping and looping stuff over and actually picking what went where was probably the biggest challenge and peeling things back. But I think we wound up with something really cool and everything meshes together in such a weird way, like just doesn't really, I don't know, the, the genre feels quite alien. Definitely has its influences, you know, but it just, everything fits together in like, it almost to me is like, like with the acoustics, feels a bit like Blank Space by Taylor Swift. <laughs> right, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> but yeah. a really like dark sort of thing behind it. I don't know, that's, I almost thought the acoustics were too cheesy when we put them in. But now I listen to it and I just Those think Those acoustic it guitars alien. that you isolated. And how did you record those? I mean, did you use an amp for that or did you plug it straight into the board? I, I think it was just a, um, we just used a microphone, probably just used a SM7B. That I think we just did it in Luca's living room again. Like a lot of this, there's some stuff that we might have done. I think the brass and maybe a few other bits that we would have done at Simon Oshcroft's place that he sort of engineered a bunch of stuff like basically across the whole album. So there's like, some stuff from there as well. And is that in LA as well? Yeah, that, yeah, so this was like, yeah, I guess the second time I came out to work with Luca, I think, or maybe it was towards the back end of the first trip, he sort of introduced me to Simon and we started going there to, with the sort of intent of like finishing, finishing stuff off because we'd worked on pretty much everything and just like needed maybe to iron out a few cracks and just make sure that we were really happy with all the all the takes we were using so that's when we kind of started working with Simon and we yeah would have done perhaps some redos of vocals and things although I feel like most of the vocals on this are from like from just that first sort of couple of days when we were working on the track like because it's so I think the the beauty in it is like the simplicity as well like some of the particularly the stuff that I wrote with Luca like we were really just like if something just felt good we'll just let it go on and that's kind of what this song does it doesn't ever change chords the groove is just always kind of there and um I think the thing that was maybe different from what I'd done before was that and this is very much inspired by working with with Luca was just like having the song just make you feel awesome throughout <laughs> it's not necessarily going somewhere it's it's just kind of with you and it just feels good throughout and this one is like the perfect example of that i think yeah for me anyway yeah that's really interesting so i mean a couple of questions really that that seems quite la i mean it, you were talking about yeah. driving out to to the hollywood side <laughs> yeah and, and having the beat on and listening to it while you're looking around and i'm just picturing the two of you nodding your head uh, yeah and, and kind of getting into this groove and then taking that feeling back and, and injecting it back into the song as well. But um, also, Mulholland's Dinner and Wine, is that a, a real place? It, does it exist? Is Mulholland Drive in yeah. LA? Is that related? It, yeah, it's, it started with Mulholland Drive. And I kind of, 
realized that because I, I don't think I'd ever even heard of Mulholland Drive or the film or anything before this trip to LA for whatever reason it just hadn't crossed paths with me so I thought it was an interesting name of a place I also like I just remember driving up there and it was kind of like you know I, I guess it's quite a long <laughs> long road but you know th- I was associating it with some quite like wealthy houses and things and I for whatever reason, combined it with an off-license, which is also called Mulholland Wines, to make, I guess, like a fantasy off-license that's kind of in LA and kind of in Brighton. And the track, to me, it's nice because it doesn't over-explain what it is. So it can be like, you know, heading up to Mulholland's for dinner and wine, you're heading up to the hills in LA for a, for a fancy party, but something a bit dark and twisted about it or it could be about you know uh, a convenience store because i think having like i'm gonna hit up my hollands for dinner and wine could just be going to an off license and i like that about it yeah (laughs) but i I, to me the song has like a slight criminal feeling to it like uh, really you know and me and lucas are driving around bopping as you sort of described it's literally how it was and it kind of like felt like this badass uh, criminal duo perhaps driving around the Hollywood Hills or, you know, robbing a convenience store or something like that. <laughs> you don't really, it, does, it doesn't over-explain it, but I don't think it has to. It just kind of kind of feels good. Yeah. It's really the intention. So this is kind of Declan McKenna fantasizing about a life of crime in some way. Perhaps. I mean, fantasizing, it could, it could be true. <laughs> um, shall we build up through the track and and then hear the whole thing in all its glory again? Sure. So there's just two different sounds here. We've got this bass in the intro. And then just this thing backing it up. Okay, another stage to the process of making this album was at the right at the end of it, we went to a studio in LA called 64 Sound. And we held the happening which was basically a studio party inspired kind of by the Beatles where we had all the tracks in like a pretty good form and we invited loads of musician friends to the studio to like just play all the songs out and we had sort of all the instruments in the studio armed that we wanted, drums, you know, guitar, bass, different keyboards and things and yeah, even mics, people were doing vocals and things, just like just letting people just play it over the top of the tracks and seeing what came out of it. So you just hear the drums here, which is I think is my friend Jason Burzel. I think those drums are him, and you do actually definitely hear him playing at the end here with I think Eli Smart on the bass. So this is just another interesting thing that kind of happens after the song. This is just them jamming over the top of the song, but it became a nice outro. And right, going back to the beginning, what are those synths then that you were playing? Do you know what they are? It's probably... I I think this is a Juno 60, which Luca has. I have no idea what this is, though. It could just be something really affected in a way because sounds really weird. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the original thing was the Juno because that's what we would have basically written it on. That and the, the Mellotron were kind of the main 
keyboards in, in Lucas Studio. So there's a lot of that all over everything. But it's funny because obviously we hear that at the beginning, but then really then the track goes off and goes into its own world. Yeah, it's just a different, you know, it's almost like something to an intro of a track being just like letting you know that it's about to go down. <laughs> like that's all it does really. It's just kind of this, it's got a slightly dark feeling to it. And I guess it probably came from like us originally trying out some weird idea and then we were just like, I'll just throw it on the start of the song because it doesn't actually suit the rest of it. Um, like also over the intro, there's this cool, I think, lap steel stuff, which is it. just all meant to be a little bit foreboding and it's mm. like it's about to go down <laughs> it's a little warning and then we have the like a prayer snare which also comes in i definitely stole this idea from like a prayer because i love the way that song starts it's like <laughs> life is a mist <laughs> so you just get that and in it goes and so yeah yeah and then you move on into the happening. I love the idea of this happening. Uh, so that was that was applied to all the songs. So maybe we can expand on that yeah, as we, as we carry on our conversation. But maybe we should hear the final version now, I think, to round up this little section. Okay. great listening to this on the headphones because it's for something that you described as quite sparse by the end it's it's built up quite a lot really and then it has this slow fading out section yeah it really lets it sink in as well i think that outro like i like you know my dad would always say like he'll like a song that has a beginning he hates like a fade out i mean that is kind of a fade out but a song that has a beginning and an end you know um and i think we just about got it even though the song like as I say, it's somewhat repetitive, but it definitely like goes somewhere and leaves you with like a feeling and I guess that's what it's all about. Right, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back to look at Breath of Light in just a moment. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. 
One of our favorite features within Tapeit Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tapeit sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. This episode is supported by Museversal, an amazing new service for working with session musicians remotely. If you use session musicians or would like to, but it's been too expensive or hard to organize, this is for you. And we have a special offer for any Tape Notes listeners, 25% off for the first three months, and you get to skip the wait list. But more on that in a moment. I've got David from Museversal here to tell us all about it. Hello, David. What is Museversal? Hey, John, thank you so much for having us on here. Appreciate it a ton. Museversal is an online remote recording studio for artists, producers, composers, anyone who's a music creator to work with session musicians remotely. In a couple of clicks, you can go on and you can book a session with a drummer or a guitar player, a piano player, you name it, they're on the platform And so the way that it works is all of the sessions are hosted over live stream. So all of the, you know, revisions and feedback and all of the different little, you know, hey, um, would you mind, you know, moving to the ride symbol for the fourth bar? Or would you mind, you know, finger plucking instead of using a pick? You know, all of those types of creative choices can happen quite literally as if the musician is in the room just done over live stream. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And in a way, the clue is in the name, Museversal. It means that whether you're a beginner or whether you're somebody with a lot of experience, you can still get access to the same kind of level of musicianship and creativity. Yeah, it's amazing because it allows the music to have expression on it and musicianship that, you know, if I'm sitting in my basement playing piano versus a piano player that's played for, you know, Jay-Z or has been playing for 25 plus years, the material that comes out of that is going to sound night and day. What does it cost? So the service is $200 a month US and included in that is all of the sessions. So there's no additional fees or anything. You know, you get to book as many sessions as you can have per month. To put it in perspective, the average user probably books about five to seven sessions per month. But we actually have some users booking 10, 12, 15 sessions per month. So I mean, you could do the math on 200. The, the deal really is awesome. And it, it allows people to work with incredible musicians and, and, you know, not break the bank. It sounds great. Can you remind us what the offer is for Tape Notes listeners? Well, look, we're so thankful um, that you guys are having us on here. What we would love to do is offer 25% off per month for their first three months. And then the other cool part is they get to skip our wait list. So, you know, we usually run a wait list. It's about two weeks long. But in this case, you know, finding us through this episode, you could have a session as early as tomorrow. Fantastic. And to get the offer, all you have to do is find the link in any of our recent episode show notes. David, thank you so much for speaking to us. And maybe one day we'll be talking about a piece of music that's been created using Musiversal. That would be incredible. We cannot wait for that day. The next song we're going to listen and look at from What Happened to the Beach is Breath of Light. And Declan, you're going to do the honours and play as the master. 
Okay. just a little taste of Breath of Light which is the sixth track on the new album What Happened to the Beach and in some ways it's an interesting choice because it's a lot quirkier than some of the other songs on the record so what's going on here? Well yeah I just thought we'd show one of the weirder sides to the album for sure and one that also has I think just an interesting like development and sort of story to how it came about because yeah it took a long time from the beginning to end but yeah, it's another one that is a sort of strange amalgamation of different things sort of put together. But actually what I've got is like the first sort of version of it, which is a demo called Christ is Risen. Uh, I'm a Catholic at heart. But it's it's basically a demo that I believe me and my friend Jake Passmore, who is in a band called Scores, who supported me on one of my last gigs before the pandemic. And he stayed at my house afterwards. It was in Islington Assembly Hall. And I think the next morning, we just started this strange little demo, which just has some of the, I mean, some of the parts really that made it on the final track, but the lyrics are just a little bit more all over the place and it doesn't have a structure, but it's kind of just us going like, you'll kind of hear maybe i'll just throw a bit of this on now and you'll see what i'm talking about because actually yeah you know right away that it's breath of light that's jake You can really hear that connection. So this is. is recorded early 2020, is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, I believe so. At your house in London where you were living at the time. Yeah, it was exactly. And you look, you can just hear me just about singing the main melody, but in a weird way. Which is kind of the melody on the thing. But yeah, we just started this really hypnotic groove and I believe there's, you know, those sort of 
shaky whatever sounds are in there. There's even even this is definitely in there. Where we go. That that little part is in yeah. there. We just took out the guitar. I believe maybe the bass sound is even the same. Like it, this is just a, some kind of sample synth that I had on. I would have been using Logic at the time. So that demo that you just played, that's all layered up. Yeah. You, so with this a is, number of passes, were you all? Basically, we're just looping over and over on this mm. idea. I was playing Cajon as well, which may have even made it on the final track. Although we definitely recorded some real drums doing that sort of. And um, yeah, it's kind of like it's even got. I, I think the the like part, which is kind of at the core of the the groove, is the one from this original demo as well. And it's just our vo voices, but pitched in different ways using Alterboy, just like a Sound Toys pitching plugin, quite a popular one for that. And I probably have that separated here. Yeah. And I, I don't think that changed from right. our original demos. Um, so because you had this multi-track demo, you're able to take all of those parts to Luca. Yeah. And he was encouraging you by saying, look, well, you know, this is all good stuff. Why, why would we throw it away? Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I think I'd actually even developed it past that point because I have like a, a voice memo here as well of me coming up with the, the because the breath of light, I think the sort of, the other section's melody is there, but the whole actual Breath of Light thing. Here's, this is from March 2020, so I don't even think I'd priced together for a while afterwards that they would be on the same track, but... I don't know where I am. Yeah, I was thinking... <laughs> Wow. I'm somewhere out and about. So that's and Declan playing from his phone. And there's some background <laughs> noise there. Somebody talking about Haringey. So are you waiting on a platform? or? Are you... I have no idea. Yeah. Where I, I probably was out and about. I'm always doing that, just like really trying to covertly like record a little idea. But I think it was maybe even before I'd gone to work with Luca that I'd, I'd kind of spliced the two ideas together and had some kind of structure close to what the final track is. And then we just kind of started working on making it a little bit less crazy but it also kind of this is just one that thrives off the craziness and has sort of remained very much one of the weirder you know ideas and it's kind of ends the b-side on the vinyl as well so you get more hollands which is obviously the last track we do and then it goes into this which gets even darker even weirder even wonkier and and that's kind of the end of the b-side and yeah, it's just, I think it was important on this album to know that we were working on stuff that was just for the album. There wasn't going to be a single or anything like that. Like I really thought it was important that this album had a sense of space and that everything like was really geared towards the album as a whole. And this is one of those tracks that, you know, perhaps if we're working in a different way, just wouldn't have even been in consideration. I definitely think on any of my other albums, like I wouldn't have really thought that I could take it to a place where it would get on the album. Yeah. But on this album, it made so much sense because, because it, you know, there was room for a track as kind of wonky as this. <laughs> yeah. I think we should hear some more elements then. That's sure. Maybe play through it and, and tell us what you're, you're introducing. Okay. So, I mean, we've got these sort of initial parts, which are from that first 
demo. So can I just grab the bass, grab the what's called ooh-ah here, grab the percussion as well. And a lot of this is from a lot of this is from that original version. Then we get into the stuff that we we'd sort of added. Like, like this guitar part, I think. It's just super clean guitars. Which is quite nice, it kind of cuts through the whole thing. A great, um... Actually, no, maybe I'll save that for later. Because I know you've got a question that'll probably lead me to say the thing that I was going to say but <laughs> but there's just something about I'll remember this for later about it you know just being super clean in amongst the weirdness of it all yeah don't you touch me in the center of a cosmic scene where the devil sipping from my demo as well but just a slightly later a version don't believe I'm a cheesecake junkie with constant grief. And it's kind of got the feeling of like a gang of voices from hell, which is kind of what it was supposed to be. Definitely feels like a song from hell. Welcome to the party and you shan't be Ah, so there's an interesting thing happening actually, which I'm pretty sure I did myself, uh, which is like, so on Alter Boy, which I talked about, which features fairly heavily on this album generally, um, you can change the pitch, you can also change the formant. And that's, I believe, me, so keeping the pitch the same, so you're always hearing it sort of in tune, but just changing the formant, so it's like starts in a pixie voice and then goes gradually down to like a lower voice, and you kind of hear that, I think, here. <laughs> and my voice just melts down. So, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with the vocals on this one. And those are vocals that you originally recorded back in London rather than re-record with I'm, Luca. I'm pretty sure that, like, most of those vocals are original. We might have re-recorded some, but there's definitely a lot of stuff that I'd sort of just recorded myself. But it's quite hard to tell exactly because, I mean, they're not very clean, so... Maybe if they were clean, I could probably tell the difference. Um, but no, I, I feel like a lot of the vocals on this one at least stayed. Um, because there's there's a level of intimacy to this song. Like, it's quite direct. It's quite from the source, you know. And so we didn't overdo a lot of, or re-record 
you know, some elements that just had this weird hypnotic vibe. One of the things that I think we did add a lot of in the end, though, and that I think Luca played a good amount of were these, like, synths, which, again, are another just, like, nice kind of slightly... I mean, I don't know actually exactly what I'm going to play here, so I might be wrong, but, like, a slightly just simpler melodic element that kind of adds a, an amount of, like, grounding to it whilst still playing into the sort of right vibes. Oh. That's actually interesting. This is not the synth. This is the balafon, which my dad got me for <laughs> my birthday one year, which actually features quite heavily. Uh, they're in the synth thing for one reason, but balafon is like a sort of marimba-style instrument. I I remember in school learning that they were used in Burkina Faso, but I don't know if they're from Burkina Faso exclusively. I just, um, if anyone did the same GCSE music thing as me, they would have done a song called Yuri by Coco, which used the balafon. And I guess my dad found one in a charity shop <laughs> or wow. something like that, and, or a music shop somewhere. Or, but it's great sound, really woody but melodic thing. And I believe you might find that on my original demo as well, because I, I don't think I brought this to LA with me. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So that's that with the kind of synths that Luca played a lot of. Um, and they just... A slightly more grounding element maybe towards the end. And there's also these strings, Mellotron strings, probably. So you can kind of hear maybe as well, if I play it with the sort of drums, that the elements that sort of came about in LA or, you know, kind of add this slightly more grounding sort of quite a classic well, that could be on a completely different track you know who is playing those drums is that Luca or is that yourself mm, I have a feeling that these drums are actually a drummer called Lucas who I believe is in Soft Loft. Soft Loft. Luca produced their album like around a similar time to when I worked with him in Switzerland. And I think these drums were Lucas. Right. And I think he did like a little bit of extra percussion as well, maybe. And would he have done that in Switzerland then? Yeah. So we, one of the earliest things I remember Luca doing was actually sending a bunch of the tracks off that needed drums to Lucas and just seeing what he came back with. And some of them we stuck with, some of them we didn't. I think this is one of the ones where we did. And yeah, he had a cool style, like, and quite soft as well. You know, this band called, literally called Soft Loft. So <laughs> they have like a very delicate vibe to them and, and his drumming. And it's a really nice sort of touch. And yeah, as I say, just like a lot of stuff that is based off or somewhat derivative of 
the original demo, but then the stuff that kind of came about in LA just grounded this one a little bit more, I think. Yeah. That was the key to like what we needed to do. Interesting approach that you know you might share tracks with other people just to see what they would do. Uh, yeah. A, a bit like the event that you put together, the happening and yeah. inviting people in, look, play along to these songs. Well, part of the ethos of the whole project was that we could do that and we just all we needed to do was really get perspective at the end of it and you know just think about what was necessary like with the happening there was loads of stuff that could have been on but there's only really a handful of bits that we actually picked out to be on it and even that just makes the whole thing worth while like you don't have to use everything that that you get or that you make and you know the whole thing really is about like when I'm listening to this as a final track what is the elements that just gets the point across and ideally with like as few bits possible but this is still a lot of parts on this one another element actually that i i feel like i really wish i knew where this came from because i feel like maybe my my friend josh mccory played this lap steel but it could have been luca it could have been eli smart because there's too many lab steel players in my life. <laughs> and and as we say, a lot of people just sort of jumping in on these tracks. But I'm yeah. I feel like maybe Josh did this when we were living together in Brighton, which is really nice. Such an awesome sound. What the, in the background there, there's a kind of, it could be a shakery kind of sound, but it could also be animal life in the jungle outside or something. There's a, it's just like some weird kind of tambourine, some bongos. Do you mean in this sort of percussion yeah, stuff? Yeah, somewhere in the background that I keep hearing. I don't know. Mm. There's just a hell of a lot of percussion on this track. <laughs> um, I love the idea that can you really have too many lap steel players in your life? <laughs> no, because actually there's a lot of lap steel on this album and it's just always beautiful. You know, there's lots of different ways to use it as well. And um, it's almost like using violins to an extent. There's something just classic about a lap steel and it's weird in this context but also another just like somewhat grounding element when it comes and it just adds to the hypnotic sort of groove of it all but yeah i don't know there can there can't be too many lap steel players in your life but does get a bit confusing when you go to credit the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, especially when you're recording in different places at different times. <laughs> yeah, amazing. That sounds great. So that's Breath of Light. Should we round that up with uh, just uh, a section of the song that we haven't heard yet? Um, and we can move on. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
it's such an interesting combination of sounds. It just sounds like you're having a lot of fun on that track. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it because it really just is one that came out of just a a jam, as some of these songs did. And, you know, we really just tried to keep that energy, even as we sort of built things up a little bit and tried to shape it into a song. Just the sort of communal vibe of what feels like just lots of people banging on drums and shaking shakers and things like that like just really wanted that to stay on the track and i think i think we we pretty much got that across yeah definitely right we're going to take another break after breath of light after this break we're going to listen to mezzanine the next song we're going to look at from declan mckenna's what happened to the beach is mezzanine and declan if you do the honors let's hear the master So just a little taste of mezzanine. And while that was playing, Declan, you said you're going to take us on a bit of a journey because this song yeah. is a journey. I mean, yeah, it is a journey in itself. But kind of the reason I picked it out to talk about today is um, a little bit similarly to Breath of Light. There's just like even more early versions of this song because it was a really cool idea that started with me and my sort of friend, collaborator, sometimes bandmate Will Bishop, who is like an incredible sort of producer and just all-round creative human being, really. And this song is a journey from, I believe, to the sort of back end of 2018, where we started this sort of electronic, dancey idea and the gradual story of it kind of becoming mezzanine. Because when it started out, it wasn't called Mezzanine. I don't actually... It was called, like, Mellow... I couldn't really find the original, original thing, but I got a kind of version of it. But the original thing was called, like, Mellow X Factor... I can't even find it on here. It's called, like, Mellow X Factor Blur Slash Pulp Idea or something, (laughs) like, ridiculous like that. I have no idea why any of those words were used because it doesn't sound like any of those things. But... Me and Will, every time we come up with an idea, it always has a very strange name. We have created such hits as When Doves Cry Couscous. <laughs> I'm trying to think of more more weird names for things, but it always has a very strange name. And it tends to be a really long dance idea, which is where this comes in. So maybe I'll play you the original mezzanine.
What are those voices in the background there? This is like some kind of American preacher that I just threw over the top of it. He's saying a lot of random things that I thought was quite cool at the time. <laughs> From the 70s, maybe? Yeah, this is really the inception of mezzanine, the first idea of what would become mezzanine. And I think it came from us just sort of jamming. I guess we had this groove and what I had was like, talk about Mellotrons a lot because I, I love the sound of the old Mellotrons and there's a lot of great um, soft synths that you can use that sort of recreate the Mellotron. There's also like modern day Mellotron sort of digital recreations of them and their um, if anyone doesn't isn't sort of familiar with them, it's just like basically the first sampler or one of the first samplers where instruments were recorded, strings, brass, whatever, and flutes famously on Strawberry Fields Forever is probably one of the most iconic usages of it where it's, yeah, they're playing back tapes of, you know, an instrument that's kind of already been played. And the cool thing about the proper ones is that they like wear over time and the tapes get more and more weird sounding but nowadays there's like all sorts and what we what we used was like a pedal called i believe it's the electro harmonics mel 9 where you can plug in a guitar and it just basically has the mellotron set or nine different mellotron sounds or something like that where you play the guitar in and you can blend you can either go full mellotron sound or blend it with your guitar and it just basically maps the notes that you play on the guitar and plays Mellotron sounds. And one of the ones that I became very attached to prior to making this album is the Mellotron brass sounds. And it features on Sympathy, features here, probably elsewhere as well. I just really like the sort of slight fartiness of it. And like, just, it's kind of an aggressive sound, but I, I really, really found it cool and impactful in the right places. So the original sort of riff here, I think is, Maybe we added some stuff over the top, but was me playing this riff on the guitar that was sort of coming out as a brass, Mellotron brass sound, which I think is where we got the kind of slidey thing from, is that it's actually a guitar playing the trumpets. I mean, what is actually on the track is probably not that, because as I say, this is 2018 demo. Um, but it's with those things like... It obviously does matter what you plug in, but I I think with the electroharmonics like Mel 9, they also have like an organ version. I think it literally just is almost like it is just a sample in there. And so you just kind of get a sound that could be on a keyboard out of the pedal. I'm pretty sure because I think no matter what you plug in, you pretty much get the same. It's not like a distortion pedal where it'll sound different with a different guitar. It kind of does sound, at least the sound that's coming out of that, you can blend with another instrument, but the, the sound that actually comes out of it is kind of pre-built in. But when you're playing on a guitar, you obviously just come up with different ideas, which is where this, I guess, trumpet riff came from. But I think on the record, we've got it on an actual sort of digital Mellotron, which was Luca's thing. And then as we did with 
Oh, Holland's, he recorded some actual trumpets at the end. And I believe it's combined with, I'm hoping this is what I think it is. Yeah. So this is, <laughs> this is probably from my original mezzanine demo, which is me playing an electric guitar, but recording it through my laptop microphone. <laughs> so it's not plugged in or anything. It's just an electric guitar, which obviously they're not very loud, but it just had this clangy sound, which gave it like this attack that almost sounds like a bell or something like that. And it does sound like a, a zither or, or yeah. it's just a, a very different kind of sound. But yeah, there's something about that, which I really liked, like recording a guitar in a way that you wouldn't normally. I even, I've found on this record, there's a track called Honest Test. And I think how I recorded the guitar was like using the Acoustasonic, which are these new... Fender guitars, which is supposed to be kind of like a hybrid of an acoustic and an electric and maybe a slightly divisive instrument. I think some people love them, some people don't. But what I found really cool about it was actually the sound you would get just off the bat, not plugged in, not using the electronics. And you just get this really like short, plucky, completely different sound, which I hadn't really heard before. And, you know, miking that up is quite a cool little trick. And same with like... I don't know if there's a place for it, just miking up an electric guitar, even though it's super quiet. Like, you just might surprise yourself with that yeah. sort of thing. Is guitar your first instrument? Or Yeah. yeah. So that's what I kind of I started doing classical lessons when I was in school when I was really young, because that was kind of all they did in, in my primary school. It's like you get like a, a nylon string and you learn blah, blah, black sheep or, or whatever. And then you you upgrade and you learn the James Bond theme song and stuff like that. But gradually just kind of partially learnt there and then I kind of went away from it for a bit and then I got more lessons on electric in secondary school which was a bit more cool. Mm. Learned some blues, learnt some, you know, rock and roll and kind of, yeah, a bit learnt there and a lot of the time as well I would just go home and look up like guitar tabs and yeah, guitar is basically the the main instrument that I've learnt but I think I've kind of just picked up sort of most of the like core band instruments in some way just from being in studios you know working with other musicians and just I feel like I can't really resist playing all different things like I'll just kind of play until I get half good at something really because it's um it's good to kind of know what you're doing with instruments and it's also good to kind of not know what you're doing with instruments because there's a beauty in like doing things the wrong way in the studio so I I like that kind of you know I'm not really an expert in any instrument that I play. Like, I've played guitar for a long time, but I'm by no means the best guitar player that I know. But I definitely know how to, like, approach things in a unique way or, like, stumble upon an idea. And that's really where the magic happens for me. Yeah. What was next then on Mezzanine? Well, so from this sort of dance track, I guess I started this other idea and I don't know whether where it sort of originated, but this demo is an early version, which I believe I recorded in my sister's room when I was living back at my parents for a few months, sort of during the pandemic, I guess. And I kicked out, my sister wasn't living there, I kicked out to a little sort of mini studio. <laughs> and uh, I didn't just take over the room. And yeah, came up with this, which I think 
will listen, but I think it's just me kind of mumbling, but you generally get the idea of mezzanine from it. Even that, I think, might even be on it. That's, I guess, where I would have recorded that electric guitar. I don't know if I just didn't have a jack cable or... But anyway, that's really mezzanine. That's, I guess, the first proper demo of it and the first time that I incorporated this verse with, you know, what was originally the hook in that dance track. And it has kind of, kind of the vibe of the final track, but we obviously just really went to town on it. The other thing that happened before I got working with Luke on it was um, a fella called Brad Simpson from The Vamps, who, I don't know if you've probably spoken to him at some point. We have, I've never spoken to him. I've seen The Vamps play. Right. Uh, my daughter was really into The Vamps at one right. point. Um, um, and so there was a point when I, I would get alerts about their birthdays on my phone because she'd put the dates in a shared diary. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, he anyway. But Brad's a great guy. Yeah, he he's a lovely dude. Uh, I don't even know if I've met him in person actually, but we just got in touch. I guess he knows my friend Josh a little bit, but he was working on a song which I won't play because I don't know if he's still working on it or what. But he was like, "Oh, I'd love you to work on this song," and I wrote a like B section. He had this like dark, dancey groove going on, and I wrote this like B section for it which I'll play you from the final track. It goes like this. So you wrote that for Brad's song? So I wrote that for Brad's song, which was like this dark disco track, and I made it sort of switch up into this really goofy Paul McCartney section. And then, I don't know, I felt like mezzanine was just kind of going on, and like I had this cool riff. It's a little bit hypnotic, but maybe it just needed to like snap out of it. And so I, I asked him if I could just use that part that I'd written for his song. on, And he's credited on this track because I wouldn't have written it without his sort of original idea even though we'd done it both like separately <laughs> he just sent me his idea and I sent him mine um yeah it it became like the bridge and the point where it kind of snaps out of the sort of dancey hypnotic trumpet groove and so I think that is all of the steps pretty much of the writing process uh, maybe one other thing that happened was I added this organ at the end of the track which is from a studio in Longford in Ireland uh, I'm pretty sure and I did this for a completely different song and then I think I just added it on at the end because the ending is another part where it just tails off into this sort of spacey thing before going to the final track on the album mm -hmm. 
This was definitely for like a different song. But it just works so nicely. Maybe there's two organ sounds in there. The one that it's like a sample synth, which is earlier in the song, and then behind it, the is an actual organ of some kind, Hammond organ or, or something. That were all in the studio in Longford. But it was for a completely different song, which has not seen the live day. <laughs> right. And yeah, so it's a real, you know, as, when I say it's a story, like there's just been years of just different elements. And that's before we've even really got to what's on the final track fully. <laughs> yeah. So you're piecing together this, this idea is staying with you. You're constantly working at it and keep mm. remembering about it and, mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, I'll add a bit or what if I did this? And then you get to L.A. with Luca. He's listened to all 40-plus demos that you've had and said, you know what, these are good. You don't even need to do that much to them. And But with this song, you then decided to do what? Well, it was just a real mess. Like, <laughs> I had somewhat of a structure of it. It jumped between these parts. But, like, what Luca would have done initially is, first of all, labelled everything <laughs> properly because I would not have done that start just sort of looking at what was needed and what actually made sense on the track. And kind of, this was one where, yeah, I think there was just a lot of things that we needed to re-record. Guitars, we just got like nicer, nicer guitars going on. We got some real trumpets, kind of stacked all of that to make that section feel really impactful. And then I guess we what we would have done is like re-recorded a bunch of stuff and then reintroduced original elements that kind of felt like they needed to be there. But yeah, there's stuff that would have been just like this drums and this bass that just kind of are a nice, as I say, grounding (laughs) element that kind of keeps the thing together even though it is changing. Because I think the problem when I brought it to Luca was that definitely had, as I say, a structure not a million miles off of this. But when you're introducing different elements from different songs and different timelines, different sort of genres of music, I guess. It just feels way too jumpy and like you need something going the whole way through it. So that's what I guess Luca maybe even played this bass line. Actually, maybe that's me on the bass. But, you know, we had basically the same drums and bass going through it, which I think was important. Even as a lot of parts change up, the guitars and stuff. You know, you've got all these wonky, weird guitars, which is just part of the vibe. Some of them probably a little bit out of tune. But, you know, the drums and bass just holds it together. I love that. So yeah, through each of the switches up, the bass and drums just stays the same. And I think that was the, one of the most important. It's not definitely not the only thing we re-recorded on this. We re-recorded a lot of stuff um, and tried out a lot of stuff. But I think it's kind of one of the more important things that we needed to do. I've got this here that says flutes, which I'm interested because I, I don't really hear it. Oh, no. Okay, just kind of in amongst the the washiness of everything there. 
And then there's a flute there as well. There's a mellotron. That's in the bridge. But anyway. I mean, in a way, because you carry on going through the track in that way, telling us about the elements as they come in. Is yeah. that a good way yeah, of yeah. explaining what happened? So, so, yeah, as I say, I think these were sort of key grounding elements. And we also have, like, claps coming in here. Just has a really cool 70s sort of groovy vibe this song some real spacey stuff going on in the background and is that you and Luca clapping or you got other people involved probably is Luca clapping but one of the other contributors to this song which maybe we'll talk about now is Ali Kelly, who sings all over this album, really. And I, she's just a, f- a friend of a friend initially, um, now just a friend uh, of a friend of mine who's also a musician called Josh Melling. And he showed me one of her songs called Menthol. And I just thought it was awesome. And I loved the song, but it was also just the way that her vocal sits. I just thought it was crazy. Like, it was so direct and just like fills this amazing space and um maybe i'll just show you a bit of that like um but i think she pretty much doubles my vocal the whole way through the song is this it there's me gone there's you in the way and basically yeah the first day i met ali (laughs) i just messaged her and was like sort of hey do you want to work on some music? I'm working on an album. I'd like you to sing on it or something. And she just came around and sang on like, I just played her loads of the stuff we're working on, like more than what's on this album. Like there's sort of some other songs with her on it, which are also pretty good that I really wanted to do something with. But anyway, she just, we just kept being like, your voice sounds so good on all of this. It just, I don't know, it just fills this space. Like I don't know how to describe it, but she just has an awesome ethereal voice. <laughs> And it sits nicely as a backing vocal as well. It just has this great tone. Um, and so, yeah, she sung on this, she sung on Elevator Hum. Wound up singing on I Write the News as well. A bunch of songs on this album she sang on because her voice is just awesome. Dreaming on the way. Is she based in LA then as well? or she? Yeah, she was at the time. I believe she's there now. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not 100%, but um, very, very cool musician and yeah an important piece of puzzle on this song and on the record as a whole so yeah we're kind of getting most of the parts now Sounds kind of cheeky, this bit. I think that's why I wanted it to be two different voices kind of singing together. It has this, like, cheeky, playful vibe to it. And then this is where the organ first comes in. You can just about hear it. It's like this weird... 
I don't think this is a real organ though. I think this is like a weird sample synth that we just mess with to no end. Um, like literally, I just think it's a Logic, a Logic Pro thing, and we recorded all these chuggy guitars for this section. Okay, this also happens, which is awesome. Yeah, there's there's like a EQ swoop. Which I think is a nod to the original dance track. Right. <laughs> because I think I, we probably did that then. I know it exists on earlier versions, this sort of EQ, which is basically just bringing... We, we bring all the all the high ends out of the track, so you just get all the bassy stuff. So we pulled that that down and uh, and sort of into that drop. It just gives it like this dance music impact, even though the song is a little looser and a little bit, I guess, more bandy than that original sort of dance version. I think mm. it's it's a real um, it's something that you should generally hear in EDM. A little sweep like that. Yeah, it's a bit of a DJ technique as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you literally, that's sort of an option on a CDJ or whatever. Yeah, just to change it up, make a tune sound different and special at that moment. Um, and uh, so what's going on lyrically here? You're yeah. saying they want to catch you on the mezzanine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like some of the album, this song is supposed to be quite dreamy. It's like dreams and like playful childlike stuff. You know, you can even hear I'm just trying to get something like that out on, on the original sort of. It's like, let me go. Grab me unawares or something like that. Like, take me away. And it's kind of, you know, I think this whole song is just like building up to this sort of taking you away to this like hypnotic world. And I'll play the actual lyrics. Microphone or recording technique for your vocal? Not really. Like some of the vocals on this album were just done SM7B, which is very popular. You know, kind of quite tight sounding mic, I guess. And then some of them, the ones that we did at Simon's, were done on like a condenser mic. I mean, I don't know if it was a Neumann like this or that we're talking on right now, or or what it was, but just slightly more open sounding to put it simply but i use the 7b a lot because it's very convenient for recording on the go and it doesn't pick up too much background noise but i really like a good neumann condenser it's just really we wanted to go for like the vibiest take and sometimes you just get that you know on a really cheap little mic in a bedroom somewhere and like as long as you can make it work, then that's the main thing for me. That That's the thing. I, I probably would like a, you know, fancy condenser mic more, but, you know, you're sometimes recording into those things and the vibe just isn't there because you're in a fancy studio or you've really, like, you've already done the version that you're kind of latched onto that feels emotionally right. So, you know, it's it's more about, like with everything on this album, it's more about just, like, 
the feeling. I didn't mind things being a little more intimate or a little more scratchy if it just felt right to me. Yeah. But anyway, that you know, the idea initially being this sort of dreamy state and just leaning into that kind of became quite, you know, funny when it gets to this bridge because then it's the section that I wrote for Brad's song initially. Um and I kind of, it snaps out of it and I go, And so I woke up. <laughs> and we got more of these altar boy vocals that I was talking about earlier. Choose a man to criticize. <laughs> and is that Ali then? So some yeah. of it is Ali and some of it is me with like weird yeah, pitched up. Doing these little fake laughs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's you, fake laughing. <laughs> I think that's me. <laughs> that's kind of, yeah, kind of stuff that's all over my demos. It doesn't always make it on the track. <laughs> I like it. So, yeah, maybe we just build up towards the end. We've got a few more questions for you, Declan, before we'll let you go. Yeah, of course. Well, maybe we just start with these guitars and vocals and we'll gradually try and introduce everything in a in a good way. It's interesting hearing this and thinking back to the dance demo that you originally did. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of, I don't know, there's some things that you're like, can I make this into my own song? But I definitely knew I could, I just I just felt like I had to take it away from the dance world a little bit. Mm. But it still has a lot of nods to, to that vibe. Something else I actually used a lot here on this album particularly is um, auto-war, which is generally associated with like, a lot of the time people say like Jerry Garcia's guitar playing and stuff. That's what this, those little strums are like auto-warred and I think I was just using the Logic Pro auto-war pedal, but it basically does kind of what I was talking about earlier with that swoop that happens just there. But it does it like instantaneously. It, does, it reacts to what you play in, and you get this like wah, wah, sort of sound every time you play. And that's here. That's probably on a bunch of tracks on this album. Um, and it's just yeah, I have a, I have a pedal that does it, but the one just that just comes with Logic is is pretty cool. Yeah. What? I really do like all the brass elements on the album and it's interesting to hear how you know you can play your guitar and turn it into a brass instrument as well 
That's well, yeah. I think this album was all about turning. Well, one of the things we did a lot was just evolve the sounds into something else or play something one way that feels like a different instrument. Even I think Hendrix is sort of well documented for just kind of for basing some of his guitar playing off of the trumpet, which I think is quite an interesting thing. Which I guess maybe is why he gets those sort of why kind of sounds or why some of his riffs are such statements. Yeah, that's kind of a trumpety thing to do. And I don't know, it's good to have kind of different sounds and different ways of playing something in mind rather than just reaching for perhaps the obvious. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to ask you our regular questions in just a moment. But before that, we've got a question that came through via Patreon. And it's about mixing. How involved do you get with the mixing process? And how do you approach it if you do? Um, Yeah, too involved, really. I mean, I really prefer to be in the room because I find it easier to communicate. And, you know, it's a really hard thing to do to give the track away once you've got it to a point to someone to mix. And there was even a point where this album almost was mixed by me and Luca and Simon. But we wound up giving it to David Wrench. And it was cool. It just took a while because I was kind of touring as well at the same time. So as I say, I, I maybe got one session where I could be in with David or maybe two. But yeah, I, I, I mean, super involved. It's so important. And it just like... You know, you really, it's hard to know sometimes whether you're just driving yourself crazy and sort of basing your idea things off of, you know, versions that you've heard a million times and whether it's sort of what, you know, new ideas are good or bad or, or whether you're kind of, yeah, it's really hard to, to sort of see the wood from the tree sometimes with mixing. So I guess it's important to have that sort of sense of space and perspective. But there's something about getting someone else's ears on it and having someone else just sort of, maybe see through the sort of stuffy, crazy, bogged down-ness of like the end of making a record and, and just kind of look at it objectively. And yeah, I think Mezzanine is one of the songs where the mix actually really, really kind of did some things that perhaps I wasn't expecting. I feel like the drums got kind of softened up in a nice way and it just kind of brought the track into the world of the album a little bit more and that might have been something that we wouldn't have thought to do alone. But to answer the question, really, yeah, I, there's tracks in this album that had nine mixed passes where I was going back and asking for tiny little tweaks. Like, it's probably really annoying um, because it maybe to an outsider, it might seem like a... My stomach's really rumbling. Uh, you know, to the mix engineer, like, oh, really, you're going to make me change this one thing? But... You spend so long working this track that it's like the final piece where you really want to want to get it right and you want to just satisfy your brain that, that you're done with it, which is almost impossible to do. So yeah, I remember one, one example of this was when I was mixing Beautiful Faces. It's my first time working with Spike Stent who, um, who mixed Zeros and it's a really loud song <laughs> and he's known also for epic mixes and I had the flu. And I think we must have done 11 or 12 mixes of this song because because I just couldn't listen to it. <laughs> and I was trying and trying to have opinions and I knew that I wanted stuff to change. And I also had other people sort of making comments along the way as well and just me being like, 
unable to actually make the right decision. But eventually we got there. And my main advice for mixing is just to not have the flu and mix it when you're in a good frame of mind too. But of course, sometimes the deadlines don't care about your feelings yeah. and you have to get these things done, much like kind of mixing this album along with, with touring. Tricky business, but I can understand the importance of it. And it's good to work with great people as well. I mean, that's very That's nice. it. it. You know, perspective is the most important thing and having sort of clever ears on, on your music isn't a bad thing. So, yeah. So we ask a, a series of regular questions to everybody yeah. who comes on the podcast. And uh, I'll ask those and then you can go off and, and solve that rumbling tummy uh, <laughs> situation. But the first of them is Not about tech. Not trying to rush you. <laughs> um, first of them is about tech and equipment, and whether there's any particular piece of technology or equipment or an instrument that you couldn't create without or that was fundamental to the recording of, of this new record. Yeah. I mean, lots of things. Basically, all kind of Mellotron sounds are one thing because there's a lot of that. The Judder, which is a guitar pedal by MWFX, which is featured maybe more heavily on Zeros, but it's definitely featured on, on this, on lots of little sort of textures and things. It's just like a really fast delay kind of note repeater thing, and it's got a real, really distinct sound. Like, it does, what it does is relatively simple. It just kind of you know, repeats what you play back in a very direct way, but you can just do so much with it. And it, it kind of has this amazing combination, a bit like, you know, this album where it is digital, but it does not stick to the grid. Like you cannot time the judder perfectly because it's on like a variable knob. So it's always just going to be a tiny bit out. I mean, you can painstakingly get it to sit just right for some things but the beauty of it is in the kind of randomness and it does yeah as i say a quite digital trick but in a very sort of wild and sometimes unpredictable way so that's one of my key tools which crops up sort of here and there and everywhere and i use it live as well people see me sort of playing with this thing that's on my mic stand and that's basically attached to my judder pedal so i can you know i can change the speed of the repeats whilst i'm playing so it goes like you know like. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can have some fun um i mean you've talked a lot about you know recording in various different places and recording a lot all the time is there a routine to writing or recording do you set yourself up mentally in a certain way or what's the practice and the process um i feel like what work tends to work for me is approaching things in different ways because as soon as i've done worked on something one way it seems to kind of escape me the next time or just feel a bit like samey the next time and whenever i feel like i'm sort of in a groove with something i always have to kind of throw myself into a, either a new environment try and start something a different way. I think a really key element of creativity and writing that is based around surprising yourself because I just never feel quite right sitting in my comfort zone because it never feels very creative. So even if, you know, you come back to something a while later and you just have a, some slightly different influences that, that suit what you're doing, like I always find, yeah, putting yourself in you know, forcing yourself to approach something differently, whether that's, you know, if you normally write on a guitar, just write on a piano, 
or write on a you know use your use your computer keyboard or whatever you have or don't use the guitar you know and just write and roam freely and don't rely on sort of you know anything other than yourself whatever it is like i just feel like i always am most creative when i've sort of moved on from what i've just done in some way so yeah there's there's not really a process other than there's some little things that i do to kind of keep myself motivated it's good to get space it's good to step away from the project sometimes i sometimes feel like if you can't quite crack a lyric or a melody or something just not listening to it for a bit going for a walk your brain just kind of sometimes just ties things together itself like making sure to just not beat your head against the wall when you're working on music because i just think then then you just struggle with ideas you're just overwhelmed but yeah i find putting yourself in a new environment a new process is the best process for me <laughs> yeah 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 i can see that um the last question we ask everybody is about advice whether they have received advice along the way whether they've learned something over time that they would then pass on to other people you're three albums in now you're yeah. you're a veteran declan kind of getting there i've i've got some good advice on the way i mean one thing that i i tend to say to like you know, if I if I meet a, someone who's kind of new on the scene or whatever, and I think their music's good, you know, I'm just like, don't take too much advice. <laughs> Everyone's gonna, everyone in this bloody industry is gonna have advice for you, and you are where you are because you have your own way of doing things, and like that is one of the most important things. Just because you can do things the tried and tested way or the right way. Or just because there's a typical way that other people do things doesn't mean that's right. A lot of things like that in the music industry where just because it's normal doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> like if you've, if everything great that you've written has been out of your bedroom, then that's where you need to work. That's where you need to carry on working. Maybe you want to develop in certain ways. Maybe you want to introduce extra elements, but don't forget what makes you, you. That's That's just me rambling. But one of the best bits of advice, which I wanted to mention earlier, but I thought I'd save for this question is... Jason, who engineered Zeros along with with J Joyce, who produced the record like all the time. So I guess this is maybe a I don't know if they coined this saying or if someone else did, but Jason said it to me, and I guess it was when I was just trying to add sort of weird effects to absolutely everything and like maybe going a bit extreme and sort of losing. You know, I, I think I suggested doing something one way, and they were just like, "Why don't you just do it clean?" And he said. If everything's weird, then nothing's weird. <laughs> and I've really, really taken that forward with me and it's really, really helped my production because I am the type to just throw effects at things. And I still do, you know, I love a good weird wonky vibrato or a, as I say, like the auto wire or one of these weird tools. But ground your ideas. Like if you've got something really weird and really cool, but it just doesn't feel right, like, try much like with breath of light there clean acoustic guitar or like something that you know i feel like if you listen to like for example the flaming lips or mgmt artists that are kind of known for kind of weird wonky ideas you still listen to a lot of those songs and you're like straight up acoustic guitar or like straight up this or just like something about it is actually kind of grounding and lets the other parts feel super crazy and there's no rules obviously but it's just a really good 
thing to come to if you kind of hit a wall with with an idea that does feel on the weirder side yeah that's just a piece of advice that i've never forgotten it's sound advice and it's a nice combination along with your advice about don't take too much advice Um, (laughs) that's the thing it's Uh, good that is so important it's excellent (laughs) thanks so much for being here declan thanks for letting us in and, and finding out all about how you created these songs for what happened to the beach we should play Something to round things up, something else from the album, another track, an outro track, as it were. Any suggestions? What should we go for? I suppose after Mezzanine, maybe we could play the the final full track of that album. It's an act. It's an act. Okay, so that's the one. Thank you again, Declan. And this is It's an Act, Declan McKenna from What Happened to the Beach. Thank you for listening. And in particular, thanks to all of you who have signed up to support us on Patreon. I'm just one part of the team that brings you Take Notes, and it relies on your support. Access to Patreon includes the full-length videos of new episodes where possible, ad-free episodes, and detailed gear lists, among many other things. If you'd like to join, head to the link on our socials or website. For pictures, highlight clips, and behind-the-scenes content, head to our Instagram or YouTube channel. And on Discord, you can join the growing Take Notes community. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.